Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fourth season, we're looking at Kenneth Branagh's 2011 film, Thor. I'm Matthew Fox from TheEthicalPanda.com. And I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. And today we're talking about Minute 33, which begins with a possibly overly friendly nurse and ends with a gentleman getting out of a truck. We're also, of course, joined by Jay Shepard, once again, owner of the Marvel Cinematic Universe Location Scout website and uh, great, been a great guest so far. Jay, how you doing? And um, what really got you into Marvel, the MCU? Thanks for having me back again, guys. Um, what got me into the MCU? Um, I had young kids, right? I can say that uh, they were forcing me to take them to see the <laughs> movies, but no, really, I uh, I had grown up reading Marvel comics. Um, Marvel was some of the first comics that I bought, um, though, you know, I was reading all sorts of stuff uh, during the 80s and the 90s, but um, these films just kind of really grabbed a hold of me in a way that, the, you know, a lot of the other films didn't. I mean, there's just, I think the thing that we're all seeing is that there's a lot of quality going into these, yeah. and they're all so varied that uh, that's why I like them. Awesome. We'll have a lot more of your thoughts and everyone else's right after this. There are a lot of fun perks that you get when you become a member supporting Marvel Movie Minute. First of all, you get early access to all the shows. You also get access to the live streams where you can watch when we're recording. Generally, for this show, we're recording a good month or two before the episodes actually release. You also just might end up getting a sticker or two in the mail. Membership is just $5 per month, or you can get a discount if you join at the annual rate. Learn more at truestory.fm slash Minute. So once again, we are in the world of Dutch angles. We have this nurse uh, kind of laying over Thor, you know, not laying, but, you know, kind of leaning in over Thor. And also, I just, I don't want to keep commenting on it. His eyes look so sunken in this shot. You know, they look like he is, these are the eyes of someone who's been around 300 years. And I don't know if that's the eyebrows or the way it's shot, but it just, <laughs> his eyes look tiny and sunken. I just don't get it. It's the night shift at the county hospital. Yeah. Okay. There you go. <laughs> The thing with Thor when he wakes up is, you know, I don't know. I, I question like his 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 coif, like his hair looks pretty well combed and stuff for a person who was uh, tased in the middle of the desert, just had a crazy trip through the Bifrost. And it just it looks like fairly brushed back. And I I, <laughs> I don't know. Part of me questions like with that, uh, you know, with kind of the look of his his eyes and everything, it's like. Did they also groom him when they brought him in here? I don't know. Look, if this is a man who can literally fly through the body of a frost giant troll, you know, a Yoden beast <laughs> without getting any blood or gore anywhere on his hair, his face, his cape, you know, Odin knows Thor's representing him. He took away 90% of his power, but the, like, always be perfectly <laughs> coiffed, Odin let him keep that. You know, he's got to represent. Oh, uh, there you go. Like that's, that. that's my theory there. <laughs> it's a curse. That's and, right. And so, of course, we still see Thor as this super spoiled, you know, he has no regard for the people who are just trying to do their job, who's throwing around. Um, it, it's just kind of continuing the same theme with Thor. And the first orderly is uh, played by a guy named Rob Mars, who actually has been all over the MCU. 
Uh, Andy, talk to us a bit about Rob Mars. Well, before we talk about Rob, I want to talk about Terry Dale Parks, because Terry is actually the first one that's actually talking to mm. him. And he's the one who's like, hi, in kind of like that, that kind of creepy way, uh, trying to be friendly. I'm just taking your blood. Uh, Terry Dale Parks, uh, we'll just call him Nurse Terry. Um, he is, if you look at his IMDb, he, I think he's another person that's likely uh, New Mexico based. Uh, on IMDb, it says that he is most known for he's playing a security guard in Terminator Genesis. He's playing a greeter in G.I. Joe Retaliation, Trooper Number 2 in The Last Stand, and Ranger Riggs in Man of the House. So someone thought he's very good at welcoming people because there was a definite theme I was seeing through some of those roles. <laughs> yeah, right, right, exactly. So, you know, I I don't know. I, I enjoy his presence here. And as we'll watch over the course of this minute, you know, it's, it's probably clear that he's not one of the stunt people. Like he's the nurse who steps back and just basically kind of like dances around the back of the room, gets over to the phone. Like he yeah. really, he's avoiding the action, let's just say. I also got to say, for a movie made 10 years ago, you know, showing men as nurses is something I'm always happy about. I have a few free male friends who are nurses, and they always hate that people always assume they can't be a nurse because you're not a woman. So just another cool mm-hmm. thing for that. Yeah, uh, yeah. Can we now talk about Mr. Rob Mars? And now let's talk about Rob Mars. <laughs> so, so yeah, so Thor wakes up, and, you know, he's very upset that Nurse Terry is trying to take his blood. And, and he starts fighting, and they're like, we need a hand here. And a bunch of nurses and orderlies all kind of run over, and Thor basically takes them all down. And this is pretty much how you know that all of these people are utility stunt players, because they're not credited, but there are a lot of utility stunt players in the movie. And so, I, I'm, and he's throwing them, like, instantly. He's, like, you know, punching one in the face. He's throwing another into the lights behind him, and I mean, just everyone gets thrown around by Thor in this particular scene. And because of that, I know who very few of these people are. There's only one other person credited as a nurse, and that's Rachel De La Torre, who I don't see anywhere, like based on her picture on IMDb. I don't know where she is in this film. But Rob Mars, he's an orderly, and he is the one with glasses who immediately rushes in to try holding Thor down and gets punched in the face right away. And 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 then he keeps coming back. Like he's the one who tackles Thor and pushes him into the guy on the phone and then gets thrown onto the next patient and then toward the end of the fight he tries to grab him one last time and then he gets thrown off again and lands on yet another patient so i mean he's all over this fight and rob mars the funny thing about him is he is very very popular in the marvel cinematic universe as far as when they're filming i'm guessing he came onto this film not to play an orderly who gets punched by thor but because he is actually ray stevenson's stunt double playing volstog in this film so likely we've already seen him in the film in some of the jotunheim scenes when they were uh, fighting on jotunheim um he's done a lot of stunt performing utility stunt playing he's been in captain america the first avenger amazing spider-man winter soldier infinity war endgame black widow agent carter agents of shield wandavision loki in WandaVision, he's also credited as a sword technician. In Black Widow, he was David Harbour's stunt double. In Agent Carter, he played Jerome Zandau. And he never actually got to return as Volstagg's double again because Volstagg really doesn't get to do much. But interestingly, in the Loki TV show, in the image that they used often in the advertising when it showed Loki in kind of like a politician's suit with the little Loki button and stuff, Rob Mars, he's the guy who's kind of wearing the... I don't know, it looks like a hunter's outfit or something that's standing right next to Loki with the big Loki button on his uh, little hunter's hat. And so, I don't know, in my head, now I want to write this person as Nurse Nurse Rob, we'll call him, 
into like I don't know if he's in you know the timekeepers or what, but somebody who's like jumping around in time in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, I I just I want that to exist now. Oh, that's pretty cool. <laughs> he's everywhere. What, and I wonder if that's a, a name if the person behind him is a named character because I know I. I recently did an interview with a middle school teacher who's a huge comics nut, and she actually used the um, the President Loki run in the comics, where and that's what that image of that the Loki variant who's you know wrote for me, he's a President Loki, uh, and that like she used that that run to teach her students about civics and elections and stuff like that. And so I'm cool. kinda, Jay, did you read that run? I know it's much more recent. I'm wondering if that the kind of guy with the antlers on his head is is a named character in those comics. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I did take a look at that. Um, not at the time that it came out, um, but be- when I saw that they were referencing the cover of issue number one in the Loki previews, I was like, I better check that out. So yeah, that, that's a pretty clever usage. A great way to engage the kids. Definitely, definitely. So what's your kind of take on, we were talking before the last time that Odin has taken away all of Thor's power. But Thor is certainly, like, showing a lot of power here. You know, one of the orderlies asks, you know, what is he on? You know, kind of referencing that, like, some drugs like PCP can make people seem like they have just, like, superhuman strength or they don't take pain, pain at all. Is it just that even without his power, he is just still a very well-built man who's a very well-trained fighter? Or is there, like, he still is not, like, he still has strength that is beyond uh, what a human would? What do you think is going on in that scene? I think it would definitely be weird to see somebody built like the way that uh, Chris Hemsworth got himself in shape for this film and to even assume that he has godly power that is taken away from him. And then he's like a wimp. Right. I mean, he still has, you know, I mean, he obviously he seems way stronger than a human would be in this case. It's 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 very much the action hero uh, strength that we see where he's pushing two or three people off of him at a time. But at some point, you know what they get like five or six guys on him and pin him. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, I think I count two security guards, about seven, I think nurses and orderlies. And then there are two other patients in this room. So, I mean, there are people everywhere in here and all of them, other than the patients seem to be trying to figure out how to tackle this one person. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. I, I think that's a good way to put it. I think like what he does is certainly the, Perhaps not quite normal human strength, but certainly like Arnold or Van Damme in a movie like this strength, you know, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's that level of, of feat. And and seeing this scene just, you know, now that we're focusing on this fight in the hospital room, based on what I said yesterday about the uh, I didn't know where the hospital interiors were filmed. I'm I'm really now leaning heavily towards the fact that it was soundstage because with the smashing and everything that's going on here, you know, people being thrown into glass. I mean, I know they can set up, you know, fake glass sure. and things like that. But um, just the just the space that's set up here doesn't seem like something that would really exist in a real world to have that much room in it. Like the room is bigger than a room of this comparable type would be. Yeah, like I, I was I, when we were rewatching it, I was trying to think where would the cameras go? And I think that was, you know, you're, you're going to a lot more mm-hmm. detail on it, but it makes sense that this is a sound, this is a, a set of some kind. They move around in it. Like they found a place or they built a place that's big enough because in the extended version of this, we'll actually see they shot this in one long take. It's one great big action scene of a fight in the triage bay, which is what we'll we'll see a sign for this later. That's a lot of choreography, and so they needed the right space. And so, yeah, it makes sense that they would have kind of 
constructed this to to have exactly what they needed for for their movements. We'll probably talk more about that when we get to the extended scene. Yeah, yeah. And and so the fight ends uh, with. Uh, him, he's pushed up against a wall. He's still shouting as though he doesn't understand. You know, he, he doesn't understand how these people cannot recognize the, that he is mighty. The orderly pulls down his pants just a little bit and jabs him with a needle. I, I do need to say, on behalf of all the Thirst fans, of which I am one, the fact that the nurse does not pull those pants down just a little bit more has been <laughs> lamented many times. But, you know, we still get quite a lot of Mr. Hamsworth's shirt off, so that works too. But um, what we now have is the exact same gag twice, where Thor is in the middle of saying, you know, you could never defeat me with these puny powers, and then he's hit, and he goes down. Yeah. I, I, I remember, like, when I'm watching this much detail, I'm sort of thinking, like, this shouldn't work to do the exact same gag twice, but it does. W- what's your kind of take on seeing, seeing this, that they use this exact same gag again? I, I mean, I, I think it just speaks to uh, the the recognition that they had as they're putting this together that one, Chris Hemsworth plays this type really well of like this this kind of dumb oaf who thinks he's so much more than he really is. And like he he like they captured that when they cast him, they found the exact right person to do this. And and he plays the comedy in those moments really well. So I think finding the opportunity to to do that a couple times um, in in very quick. Um, sequence ended up working really well in their favor and i think it's just it it just speaks so well to kind of the 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 way that thor thinks about this stuff like he just he still doesn't get it and i think that's what's so funny is like he's just and also just a nod to the fact that in the comics like they come he comes so close to saying he calling himself the mighty thor which is of course a nod <laughs> to the comics which i i love that they he but and i love that they cut it off right i mean that's what's so funny about that it's like you're no match for the mighty and then he kind of passes out and like his face like smears down the glass of the door it's just I, I want to know what was in the injector. I mean, that hit that, very, very yeah, fast. Yeah, it's a very, very fast, fast acting yeah. Trank. Yeah. <laughs> and that's one of those things where I feel like tranquilizers always move exactly at the speed of plot. You know, if you need the person to get five seconds of dialogue out first, if you need them to stumble around, if you need them to just go down like a rock, that's what they do. Exactly. You're you're saying that they were, you know, they're doing the same gag here twice. And why does it seem to work? Because it's actually it's not quite i mean it's close enough to the same gang mm-hmm. but it's just different enough that i think it plays and since they're going for some broad comedy at this part with the reactions you know and it's just he's very bombastic in his presentation and his assumptions and everything like that they're working towards uh, i don't think they quite get there but you know that rule of three where you know you always do your comedy takes in like threes um and in this case they're two big moments um so i can kind of forgive him for that because if you do one more at that point i think it does yeah. become a little too we much do, we do kind of get a third one we're not going to get to talk about it this week but there will be another one out in the parking lot here yeah uh, that we'll get to talk about and i guess that one could kind of work as the third it, one that, yeah i guess that could count yeah, yeah. And, and i love the way you framed it because i think for me that a big part of it is it's the comedy of it but this scene has to be played comedically to work because this is the kind of movie where it's a redemption story where our hero starts out as a total jerk. And those are fun movies where you see the jerk become a hero. But if you go too far into showing he's a jerk, at least for me, and I think for a lot of audiences, you stop rooting for him to be the hero. And I've already seen him be terrible to waiters and people in Asgard. I've seen him, you know, break dishes and not care. 
And I kind of and, feel like and if kill hundreds of Jotuns. But yeah, like <laughs> when I'm watching the scene in this much detail, I'm watching this guy beat up on a bunch of hospital workers. And granted, yeah. today in 2021, that hits in a different way than it hit 10 years ago. But still, I, I feel like if this scene wasn't played for literal slapstick comedy, I'd be more thinking like this is really not a guy I'm on a route for because he's just beating up all these hospital workers. So I think adding that comedy just really helps to sell it uh, in a way that would the scene could be really problematic if, if without that. With, with any kind of overt violence like that, when you want to make sure, you know, it's your good guy, it's your protagonist, you do kind of play it a little more comedically because I guess it's a little more forgivable unless you're, I mean, unless you're doing a hard action, you know, R kind of movie, you know, like a diehard or something like that. Yeah. So so then we cut to the next scene and they it's very quickly we're showing we're back in the desert and we're also now it's the next day. You know, we don't know when in the middle of the night they were before, but now it was still dark then when they went to the hospital. It's bright daylight now. And you see this. uh, It's a Dodge truck, I believe, driving up to the crater. And we can see from a distance that this is just a huge crater with Mjolnir looking kind of fairly small right in the middle of it. Shows you just how much of an impact it had. And we don't even really get a good sense that it is Mjolnir at this point. We just know that there's, there's something tiny down there. We think it's Mjolnir. I mean, we pretty much have a good idea, let's be honest. But but still, like, we don't get to see it quite yet. We just get this uh, this huge crater out there in the desert, which um, is great, especially with, you know, Patrick Doyle's fantastic music kicking in again. So do you think this is someone who saw the kind of falling star last night and came out to investigate? Or was this just someone who was just out for a drive in the middle of the desert for whatever reasons and saw this and wanted to go check it out? I think it was probably somebody that saw something come down. It it's, it was kind of over that rise the camera has. I'm assuming they used a helicopter shot here because we kind of sweep. We don't get to see, but there's a rise and the road goes up to it and kind of veers off to the right. And as the truck drives up, then we kind of come up over the hill with the truck and then we kind of get that expanse. There's probably no way that you're driving by and just happen to see this because it is kind of over this rise and it did make a crater uh, in that. So, yeah, I would assume it was, you know, a farmer or some, you know, somebody yeah. off in the distance and he saw something and he's like, Martha, I'm going to go check because he's got to, you know, have a wife named Martha. Yeah, maybe it's another baby, you know, that landed <laughs> over here and we can we can go pick him up. I, I think you're I probably right. It, it disappoints me a bit because then I'm still on like. They were just barely out of the shot or even kind of in the shot. How did our friends in the van not see this when it happened? But, yeah, I think you're probably right there. I I am often focused on what is happening in front of me Mm -hmm. when I'm driving. So, you know, uh, uh, there's the joke about Italians, you know, like what happens behind me in a car, you know, does not matter. Okay. Um, (laughs) So that's the way they drive in Rome, I guess. So, uh, you know, maybe, you know, when in Rome, when in New Mexico here, it's uh, Mm right. Don't pay attention. That's fair. That's fair. Well, what I what I think is interesting is, you know, as we look at this, I mean, we get a great overhead shot of like this area where this impact crater is. And I know we, you know, when we were inside the Pinsgauer earlier in the film, when they were chasing the atmospheric disturbance, trying to get to, you know, do use their scientific instruments on on it and kind of uh, kind of do some analysis. 
it really does. I mean, yes, it's windy and stuff and it's a little bumpy, but I always had a sense that it was a fairly straight drive that they were doing. Very flat. Yeah, very flat, very flat. And and here it's like when we see this, it's like there are hills all over the place. And and this, when I see this, I start going, uh, you know, this is definitely not where it's not the same spot that Thor had landed earlier in the film. This is not the same spot that Thor had landed earlier. Uh, so the footage that they were filming um of the of the desert in general and this is this is the stuff you'll see later when um the destroyer comes down and shield has to go out and, and meet with it um was filmed in new mexico uh in a outside of a small town called galisteo uh, which is near santa fe right that's where they did the majority of their locations uh shooting but this scene it also had to be coupled, remember, to the end of Iron Man 2, right? So they had to have um, Kenneth Branagh shoot. Uh, I, I believe it was Kenneth Branagh that shot the coda, right, with with Coulson. It was, yeah. Because the same footage we see here, they were shooting that on in conjunction with Iron Man 2, which was an L.A.-based uh, film. So the crater and the hammer location and then the shield base that gets built around it is uh, filmed in the Santa Clarita Valley, which is very much a hilly, deserty looking kind of area. If if uh, if you watch, um, you know, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or if you've seen old TV shows, the Bonic Man, you know, anytime they had to have, uh, you know, someone go to uh, Middle East, right? They would just go up to the hills in Santa Clarita and film because it's kind of a dry, brushy, scrubby, deserty sort of look. And you can actually get some more real desert as you get out towards Palmdale. This sequence was filmed in something called Mystery Mesa, which is a large, well, flat mesa that is up against the mountains there in uh, in Santa Clarita. I, I usually like to pinpoint this is where they filmed it. Mystery Mesa is part of a, a larger group called the Agua Dulce Movie Ranch, which has a lot of different areas, and they have a main ranch. If you look at the uh, overhead uh, satellite photo of it, there is a big, round-looking sort of something on the ground. It looks very much like the glyph uh, from when uh, Thor lands. It's not. I'm not sure what it is that was built there, but I think that's where the shield base was built but when they had to film shots of the hammer that was in a slightly different area but within the slana clarita area which is you know a couple hundred square miles yeah I don't know. right right <laughs> i mean if nothing like before they were showing just the land i guess they had to draw that rune but here we have such a dramatic effect of what the the hammer did when it landed that i could see that maybe they needed a place that's more used to being a film set because they're you know a lot of parks and stuff certainly wouldn't let you, you know, disturb that much of the land if you're filming on. Right. Well, and and again, like I said, since they were filming with Iron Man 2, which was L.A. based, right, they weren't going to drive because uh, they probably needed to use some of the crew uh, from the Iron Man 2 shoot. So they weren't going to drive anywhere. They wanted to keep it probably within that 30 mile zone, the TMZ that, right, right, right. that they uh, shoot stuff in. That makes sense. Well, and it does look like they actually I mean, I, I was debating. I'm like, it kind of looks like this could be a CG crater. Like it, it's not quite realistic. But then later you're like, oh, well, they're actually in a crater. So I, yeah. I'm pretty sure they actually just yeah, like, they did dig something out. out yeah, definitely. Exactly. Yeah, what you see later. Right. Well, So this also brings up a question that uh, Andy and I have have been going back and forth on for the 30 minutes of the movie so far that I'm hoping you can answer or give some thoughts on possibly as a Yggdrasil location scout, possibly as just as someone <laughs> 
someone who knows the comics pretty well. How much power does the person opening the Bifrost have over where you land? You know, because like earlier we saw, it seemed like there was one very specific place where they thought Heimdall had to pick them up. Maybe not, but that certainly seemed to be implied. Mm -hmm. Here, Odin pushes Thor through, and like 10 seconds later, he throws the hammer through, but it clearly lands at a very different spot. And not 10 seconds later either. Is that just because he's aiming at the same spot, but the earth is rotated enough in that time? Or is it that <laughs> because like, you know, he missed the bowling alley, the bowling lane? Like <laughs> It's the gutter ball Mjolnir. What's your understanding of what controls what lands where when they come out of the, the Bifrost? I mean, real physics probably would play into it whether they understood that from their magical perspective. Right. I mean, I, I feel uh, you don't get it a lot here, but I think over the course of these films, I mean, I think Heimdall's pretty accurate. I mean, he puts Bruce Banner right into the Sanctum Sanctorum yeah. there at the beginning of Infinity War. Mm -hmm. So I think that the Executioner character, Carl Urban's character, you know, he's not as good. Scourge. Scourge, right. He's not as good as uh, working the Bifrost as as some other people. So, uh, yeah, it probably does have something to do that the hammer, you know, fell out somehow. And then just, you know, it's, you know, a, a minor, you know, what, a, a part of a degree at however many thousands of miles out, you know, would be magnified right. quite a bit, you know, and we don't know exactly how far away this is, but it's, it's far enough away. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, yeah. To me, especially, it's, it's an interesting question just intellectually, but in this scene, it's very interesting to me because I, one of the things I wonder is, did Odin want the, the hammer to land right next to Thor or even maybe hit bonk him on the head so that he has to be reminded again? Or was the idea that it was going to be in the area, but far enough away that he has to kind of go on a quest to find it and, and recapture it and stuff like that. I, I think the latter. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if, you know, Odin is one of uh, in mythology and in the comics and, and here in the film as well as needing to prove his point and he's not above being cruel or unusual to do it. And, uh, you know, I don't really think he's putting Thor through that much. Like, I mean, this is not a, a huge uh, strife. It feels that way to Thor. And I think that's what we're supposed to get out of this, that his privileged life uh, has now been disrupted. And it's it's such a horrible thing for him. But it's 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 not that big of a deal overall. This is not the tasks of Hercules or something like that. Right. Right. That's a different movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally different story. The Hercules does exist in MCU comics, so a possibility, you know, at some point get into that. I, yes, I'd love to see him, right? Mar um, in Marvel I comics, I should say, but yeah. yeah. In, in Marvel, well, yeah, I think Hercules exists, uh, well, Greek and Roman pantheons exist in pretty much every comics, DC, Marvel, stuff like that, so. You can't trademark. But he has been a member of the Avengers at, at different <laughs> points, both Thor and Hercules at the same time, so. Yeah, I, I imagine that I've heard from people who read those comics that the the interaction between those two meeting is is quite a lot of fun. So I, I would love to see that uh, at <laughs> some point, maybe phase seven or something like that. Well, so I think that's where we uh, get out. Like, I want to talk about the way they shoot the driver and we don't see his face quite yet. But I think we can talk about that the next minute when he is revealed. Um, but any other kind of last comments you either of you wanted to make about this minute? Well, just a couple things. Uh, one about this. It's interesting because when we see him kind of following this road, it kind of bends to the right. When we see him pulling up to the crater, like if you if you try to figure out where he's pulling up, I, I 
think that he literally drives all the way around it to the back side of it to to kind of pull in like it's not mm. it's not like right below um the hill where he pulls over like the the way that it actually looks it's it's over by that other side of things so i uh, and i don't know if that's just because the road takes him all the way around or if he was kind of scoping the whole thing out before he pulled up to it i'm not sure yeah that's uh some of the tricks that I use, of course, are to try to figure out where things are is to look at the sun, look at the shadows. Right. And uh, he's basically driving southernly, uh, like kind of into the sun. But when he pulls up, the sun is definitely behind him. So, yeah, yeah I mm. think you're, I think you're right there. Totally different. Do we know what direction the hammer is related to where um, Thor landed? Like, is it north of him, south of him? Is there do we have enough context clues to figure that out? I get the sense it's southerly, but that's only because of we're like looking back into the frame, you know, because mm-hmm. of where Jane, Jane was driving, you know, towards camera. Right. I yeah. always kind of assume that's north. That makes sense. It's, yeah. it's night, right? You, I don't think there's any yeah. way you can tell. No way to tell. Hard to look at the stars and figure out the quadrants that they're seeing this time of year. <laughs> so, I'm sure there are people that would be doing MCU stargazing. Uh, mm-hmm. There may be a site for that. Yeah, so. right. I mean, if they figured out, you should put it on the location scout. You know, here's a New Mexico yeah. where this happened. Here's where this happened. <laughs> exactly. Um, the The only other thing that I wanted to bring up, and we didn't really talk about the extended the extended scene much. I think the, you know, someone bring me a healing stone is a great line. That would have been fun to have. Uh, I did look up that healing stones are. Uh, I, I tried to Google Norse mythology, and I've studied Norse mythology a good deal. And I know that. In Norse mythology, there's a lot of attention paid sometimes to like stones having power, uh, you know, runes obviously having power, and they're carved from stones. But when you Google Norse mythology and healing stone, uh, I went five pages deep on Google, and all I could find was people trying to sell me crystals that they claimed were, you know, blessed by <laughs> Thor or something like that. So uh, maybe that maybe there is something really in Norse mythology, but mostly it seems something that the uh, um, uh, snake oil salesmen have gotten a hold of. Well, it's definitely a Marvel thing, because, or at least an MCU thing, as they scripted it, because healing stones come up several times. Um, we'll we'll be dealing with that um, when we get to the actually healing room when they uh, where the Warriors Three and Sif went when Odin pushed them out of the uh, uh, the Himmenbjorg. But then also we'll in another scene that is a, a deleted scene later when they're fighting the Destroyer. There is they actually use a healing stone. To, uh, to heal Eric. So uh, it's definitely something that was in here more, but they largely kind of uh, thinned it out because I think it was probably just one of those things that felt more magical rather than super science. That's a good point. I was wondering why they cut it. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good place to wrap up. Uh, Jay, thank you so much for, for being a part of this again. And I know you, your stuff is connected to something called RetroZap. What is RetroZap and how, how do you kind of tie into that? Uh, so RetroZap.com is a website that uh, contains lots of different styles of podcasts. Um, my Superhero Suite podcast and our uh, Flash TV show podcast called Scarlet Velocity. But it also has uh, podcasts um about Star Trek and Dune and collecting and toys and other fun things like that, including another one I do called Enjoy Stuff, which is just about finding the fun in everything. It's it's a it's called we call it a techno retro podcast. It's about 
you know, grown up in the 70s, 80s, 90s, you know, just looking back and having fun and how we teach our kids to have fun with uh, some of the stuff we grew up with. Uh, but there's also articles. Uh, I post a number of articles about different movie reviews and Sci-Fi Saturdays where I look at iconic sci-fi films from the 1950s to the present chronologically. So I kind of, you know, I'm able to talk about what came before and how that made films, you know, of today what they are. That sounds awesome. And I, I love hearing about networks like that. You know, of course, this this podcast is part of the next real family of network of podcasts. And my podcast, as I've talked before, from the Stranded Panda uh, community, which is another great one to find. Lots of great podcasts and those stuff. And so I just love hearing that uh, retro zap is going to be one more I want to check out. So um have myself, Andy. Uh, thank you all so much to our fans. Thank you so much for being a part of this and have a great day. Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is One Last Ride by Martin Puringer. Find the show at truestory.fm, and if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show. True Story.